Today, as you picked up, we're going to be uh, digging into the theme of singleness in the church. And the Bible has lots to say about singleness, really exciting and wonderful and encouraging things about the dignity and the value and the importance of singleness in our church. And it says those things not just to those of us who are single, but for the body of Christ as a whole. And so I'm excited to, to get into the Word today. We're going to be spending most of our time in 1 Corinthians 7, and then before diving into a few different um, sections of the Bible for some practical implications. So would you join me in prayer as we prepare to do that? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us by your Word today. Um, I pray for those of us who are single, whether um, for the first time or whether they're single again for whatever reason, I pray that you would particularly um, comfort them and, and help me to be sensitive there. Um, I pray for all of us that you'd help us to um, see the goodness of singleness and singleness as a real gift um, and that this would be an encouraging time for us to consider church as family and church as a place where real, real and deep friendships can be found. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So you might see the first heading there. Um, to marry or not to marry? That's really the question, isn't it? If the sheer quantity of literature and movies is anything to go on, um, it'd have to be humanity's favourite topic. Love and marriage and happily ever afters. Uh, we lap it up. But with all the focus on love and marriage and happily ever afters, we, we risk raising up marriage to the diminishment of singleness as a legitimate option, which, as I mentioned before, is, is what the Bible teaches. The Bible uh, treasures and values singleness as a really important part of church and as a gift from God. And so my goal in this sermon is not to, not to tip the scales back as if to raise singleness up on some higher spiritual plane, um, which I think, by the way, Christians have, have fallen into that trap in the past. Um, but that's not what I want to do, not, not to tip the scales. Rather, I want to do the much harder task of seeing both marriage and singleness as really good gifts from God. The Bible shows us that both marriage and singleness uh, are beautiful things that, the God, that God has given to the church for her growth. Neither of them are ultimate, neither of them are perfect, and neither are a compromise, neither are without grief. Last time I was here, I, I was preaching on marriage, and a number of people were kind enough to share with me something of their lives afterwards, of the joys of marriage, both present and past, uh, but also of the grief of losing loved ones and of marriages breaking down. And so I, I want to acknowledge, just as we approach this topic, the grief that many of us feel about singleness for all, all sorts of different reasons, whether single for the first time or single again. And just to say that singleness, I, I want us to see singleness as a gift, and that's not to dismiss the grief that many of us feel, um, but to recognize the, the goodness of what God has given us. So let's take a look at what the Bible says. The first thing I want to show you is that the unmarried person should have genuine freedom to get married or not. We, we see this in verses 28. Uh, I'll, I'll read it again and listen out for the general tone of freedom that Paul speaks with. He says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. That is to say, I don't have a quote from Jesus for you. But I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. 
But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. We'll come to that in a second. Um, it's the, but it's the freedom to marry or not to marry that, uh, that Paul emphasizes time and time again. He's saying that it's not sin one way or the other. It's not a decision between right and wrong. Um, now, as we'll see, he'll, he'll, he puts forward an argument for singleness, but ultimately concludes the section by saying uh, in, in verse 35, which we read, he's writing not to restrict his hearers. His goal is, refreed, is freedom, not restriction. And he advocates for singleness, not least in part because sometimes it doesn't feel like a legitimate option. And that's as true now as it was back then. Uh, what I mean is this. I, I can say to a young man, you're free to marry or not to marry. And he can believe that's true. But if he then feels like everyone around him is going to be looking down on him, then it, it doesn't, it's not really genuine freedom in the same way, that there's an, an invisible obstacle in the expectations placed upon him. Or I can say to a woman, you're free to marry or not, but then they're told that true and lasting fashion, satisfaction is found in marriage. Every movie they watch, every book they read, every, even the weddings they attend, um, all point toward the, the moment when they've crossed the line, graduated from singleness, and if that's the message that they're hearing, then, then you can see why it would be hard to, to really settle for anything less than that. Um, or if, you, uh, if I say to you that having single people as part of our church is a really precious and treasured thing, but then you arrive and have no one to sit next to and aren't invited to, to social events and, and all the rest, then it's not going to feel like we really do value singleness in the same way. I think for us to be able to say that singleness is a good and legitimate option, we, we need to be um, aware of what we do to break down those invisible obstacles, to, to work out how a church can be a place where being single is, is just a viable and just as comfortable and just an enjoyable place to be as, as being married. And I think we can do that by rethinking our idea of happily ever after. Now, I don't think many of us really believe in happily ever after. We, um, but for some of us, uh, I mean, some of us laughed when, when I got to that section where he says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. So for some of us, there's something affirming to hear that that's, that's kind of everyone's experience. But I do think there are many ways which we absorb um, the culture's romanticizing and idolizing of relationships. So, um, yeah, look with me again in the second half of verse 28 there, where he says, those who marry will trouble many, will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. It, coming from kind of recognizing there's not a right or a wrong, it's not, not sin one way or the other, um, he immediately takes us to the reality of marriage. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that the Bible is very positive about marriage overall, but never shies away from the fact that marriage can be hard. Um, it never allows us to see marriage through the rose-colored glasses of um, rom romantic and idolizing ideologies. And Paul's point in these verses is not that we should never marry, not that marriage is a bad thing, but that we shouldn't set our sights on marriage as if that's the thing that we, we need to get to. Um, and as you read through, he begins to define those troubles. In particular, he, um, he explains why, yeah, on one level, his preference is for singleness. He says in verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. 
But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And similar for, for unmarried women, he says, uh, the unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Do you notice what it is that he uses to evaluate the, the goodness of, of a decision? What, what's his measuring stick for working out if something is worthwhile? It's, it's very countercultural, really, but he measures various circumstances according uh, not to a person's personal satisfaction that they might get out of it, but how freely that person is able to serve. Paul advocates for the single person as someone who is um, more freely able to love um, and more, yeah, more freed up to love those around them and to serve the Lord. One of the most influential men on me as I finished high school and started uni was an older single man at our church at the time. He was quite successful in the IT industry, um, but it seemed he managed to, to balance all of that with mentoring just about every young person in the church, uh, every young man in the church. I, I think looking back, if we might have only left we might have only met five times or something, but um, he managed to have a profound influence on me in that time. Um, and you could see the, the invisible impact he had on the church at, at large with the many kind of young men that he was mentoring and guiding to, to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Um, and as a 20-year-old, I, really, I didn't really know how to kind of respond, how, how to kind of show kindness and, and friendship back to him but he just continued to kind of pour into me and invest in me and show kindness to me and that that um that left a lasting impression on me um one was just kind of his selflessness um and his kindness to me but the other was a, an honoring of singleness I, I saw um in him the goodness of singleness he was a one corinthians seven kind of kind of man undivided and able to serve fully joyfully and, and wholeheartedly um, and it actually set a model for me as a young man to, uh, that made me want to be single that was a, a model that I kind of looked up to and, and admired um, it meant that for quite a few years after that I d never dated anyone just wanted to be content in singleness um, until Sophie came and changed those plans <laughs> um, but I'm so grateful for, for that man. I'm so grateful for the way that he used his singleness, his, his free evenings and his um, yeah, ability to, to invest deeply in friendships around church. Uh, but there was one point on which we disagree, which I, I want to take you to, um, which is on the gift of singleness. Uh, he would describe himself as someone who has the gift of singleness. And for a long time, I, we kind of wondered together if that might be a, a gift that I have too. Uh, the idea of the gift of signals comes from just a bit further up in 1 Corinthians 7, up, up to verse 7. Let me read it for you. It starts by Paul saying, I wish that all of you were as I am, which I think we take to be unmarried. Um, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, when my mentor would talk about the gift of singleness, he was describing a, a God-given ability to resist temptation, a spiritual gift that, that enabled them, him to be single and content in singleness. But the more that I've revisited 1 Corinthians 7, the more I've wondered whether that's really what he's talking about here. Because when we look at the context there, it, it seems that the more important question, so yeah, 
an important question to ask of the passage there is who has the gift of singleness? Uh, we've seen Paul, he starts with his own circumstance, being unmarried, then he speaks briefly about gifts, recognizing that not everyone has the same gift, and then immediately moves back to, the kind, to other kinds of circumstances. He addresses, in verse 8, the unmarried and the widows, and then in verse 10, the, uh, to the married. Um, and what I want to suggest is that the gift that various people have, uh, he says some have this, this gift, others have that, the gift that he's talking about there is, is not the ability to cope with their circumstance, but the, the circumstance itself is the gift. It's not an extra booster shot of the Holy Spirit, rather the various gifts are the various people's circumstances. And so who has the gift of singleness? Well, if you're single, then you do. And when I saw that, I found that really liberating because I found myself doing a lot of kind of inward searching and wrestling, trying to work out if, if I'm gifted in this way, trying to work out God's, um, you know, one intention for my life. But if singleness is the gift, then I can work out how to use that gift while, while I'm single and not get kind of overly obsessed with um, what, what God has in store for me or doesn't. And that's helpful as well because uh, some people would say, um, God hasn't given me a partner, but he also hasn't given me the gift of singleness. That is, that's, I don't have that innate sense of contentment. And so what is, where is God's person for me? Where does that leave me? But if singleness is the gift and not that sense of contentment or the ability to resist temptation, if singleness is the gift, then, then we can move forward and work out how to um, live and serve in the goodness of singleness and also in the pain as well. Um, so I think 1 Corinthians 7 is a, is a really helpful chapter in kind of wrestling with singleness. Um, it helpfully challenges the idea of finding our happily ever after and redirects us instead to look at how we can love and serve others rather than seeking kind of our satisfaction as the most important thing. It also helps us to think about both marriage and singleness as gifts from God, both with hard things about them, but both with wonderful things, wonderful ways that we can serve God in them. Now, I want to finish by drawing out a few practical implications for the whole church. I'd love to work out together how church can be a place where being single is, is just a viable and just as comfortable a place as being married, where we can build real friendships and uh, see church as family. And I was asking a few single people this week what it's been like um, being a part of church, and some of them found it quite hard, others had kind of really joyful moments. I, I thought it would be worth just sharing a couple of those positive stories. Um, and these were kind of some single people from our church, others not. Um, some of them didn't want to be named, so I've made up the name for the sake of the stories, but um, I want to look at them in, in two themes from the Bible. One is uh, friendship, the other is family. So the first is to look at fostering deep friendships. Because statistics say that we are a society in crisis of loneliness. They say that the, the loneliness that we're experiencing uh, is more dangerous than 15 cigarettes a day. I don't know where that statistic comes from, but apparently that's the case. And I think there's something... Um, uh, Sometimes we can pose singleness in terms of loneliness, as, as if it's to say you have to choose between being married and being lonely, or you have to choose between intimacy and singleness. Uh, but those, those things shouldn't be true. That's not the case, of, case at all. In fact, that loneliness is experienced just as much by 
um, married people than single people. And a, and a lot of the single people I know are some of the best at fostering real and deep friendships. Um, so I want to look at friendships for a moment. I put on your outlines 1 Samuel 26, should be 2 Samuel 26, and, and this is a place where um, David laments the loss of his dear friend Jonathan. And I, I like this verse because I think it pushes back on a common understanding of friendship. Um, read with me. Uh, David says um, in 2 Samuel 1.25, How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your, your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Now, I don't know what your kind of guttural reaction to that is. Many modern readers find that hard, find it hard to read that verse without importing some kind of, uh, there must be something romantic going on there. For him to be able to say, your love for me was, was so wonderful, even more wonderful than that of women. But I think that says more about our society and our context than about the, the text itself. I think rather this is a picture of a deep and intimate friendship. Because isn't it possible that David enjoyed the non-sexual intimacy of friendship more than the sexual intimacy of his relationships with his various wives? There was a real and deep intimacy with, with his good friend and dear brother, he describes him, Jonathan. And I like, I like that because I think we can often shy away from depth um, and we're afraid to kind of put ourselves out there to, to be uh, real and pursue kind of real intimacy in friendship. Um, but as I've asked people this week what's been good as a single person in church, one of the recurring themes is that of people who uh, are willing to invite a single person into their lives, not... Uh, they said it's wonderful to be invited over to someone's house and, and share a meal or something like that, but, but consistently, time and time again, the thing that made a real impact on them was the relationships that had consistency and actually being a part of their lives meant the most. It was the people who were willing to kind of put down their walls and, and um, truly invite someone into their life. One person was sharing how they would go over to a, a family's house for bedtime with the kids every Thursday and, and help put the kids down. And the parents would slump down at the end of the day and say, I'm so sorry that, that we didn't get to really chat today. That was just chaos, wasn't it? Uh, but she said to me, she said, looking back, it was chaos, absolute chaos. No denying that. Um, but it was such a treasure to be a part of. Um, another friend said, it's the, the friend who um, we just hang out every Thursday. We don't really have an agenda. Often we'll just both be busy and both be working. Other times we'll have time to kind of maybe cook breakfast or, or something. But um, it's just that consistency of relationship and being um, yeah, invited into one another's lives. I, I love the friendship meals here at Winmalee. When it comes to friendship, we can normally default to those people who are like us, at the same stage, whose lives look as much like us as possible, so we have as much to share as possible. But I love that um, you guys invite all different kinds of people around, and it pushes us past those kind of natural linings uh, to build friendships with all kind of, kind of people there. And I'd, I'd want to kind of, yeah, keep encouraging you to just invest in real and deep friendships because um, I think that's something that our culture is not always good at um, but that we can learn a lot uh, from the Bible and from one another. And one way that I think the Bible 
Another way that the Bible paints those deep relationships is with the metaphor of family. You've, you've talk, heard people talk about, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's language that we use often, um, but it's language that, that, for that reason, we often pass over. It's language we're so familiar with that it's just kind of a language for, this is someone who is a Christian like me, but that's not how the Bible uses it. it it's, um, I've put on your outlines 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 and 2, there's lots of examples I could, but I like this one because it actually um, gives us the instruction to relate to one another as brothers and sisters, as um, to, to treat younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters, and older men as fathers, older women as mothers. Um, and I think often we can kind of use those verses to... Uh, I've often heard it used to teach teenagers about purity, um, that sort of thing, but I think the, the point of it here is to treat church as family. Notice he doesn't say treat older men in the church as kind of that distant uncle that you might see once or twice a year. Um, he doesn't say treat younger w- women as cousins who you kind of relate to and know that they're kind of there, but um, it says treat them as, as direct family. Look around and see your brothers and sisters, your mothers and your fathers. And one friend, call him Dan, He's a, he's a single man and he's usually okay with that fact. And he's okay with the fact that it's likely to be um, his lot for life. He's expecting to be single for the rest of his life. And he shared with, with me a story one time when he was feeling kind of down. Um, there was a period where it felt like every time he opened social media, there was an, another person kind of, um, you know, celebrating wonderful things, the goodness of their, their marriage. But, and every time he walked through someone's home, he'd see kind of all the... That a perfectly set up home from all the things they'd be given from engagement parties and weddings um, and he was very kind of happy for them but found it hard not to feel like he was on the outside of something um, and so a few, few months ago another friend of ours got married and aware of this kind of tendency and they, they'd, um, she invited him onto the, the bridal party and um, aware that that could be hard for him she'd used that chance to just celebrate friendship and the, the things that had kind of the people who had supported them there to get to that point and she actually um they'd lived out of home for a few years by that point and um and so she didn't really need a wedding registry but lots of people still wanted to buy gifts and so she had a little section on her wedding registry for dan um someone on her bridal party who's a single man who probably won't get married and probably won't have a registry but could use a lot, a lot of things that we don't really need which was very kind of sweet and I think a lovely way of just kind of acknowledging him and, and including him and, and just being thoughtful to the different challenges that dif- different people face at different stages in life. But what have we seen today? I think, I think when, we, when it comes to trying to create a culture where church is genuinely a good option to, to where it's genuinely a good option to be single, um, there are lots of Im- invisible barriers that we kind of don't see or aren't aware of. But a couple of things that we can do to help work through that is just being intentional and kind of rethinking how we communicate about marriage, about happily ever afters, um, and uh, starting by being careful not to pretend or to imply that marriage is a solution to happiness or satisfaction. That, um, yeah, but instead directing people to put their hope in the Lord and to serve Him wholeheartedly in whatever circumstance they're in. Um, and as well as that, it's worth recognising that singleness is not some special gift for a few, select few who have had that 
you know, extra booster shot of the Holy Spirit. Uh, rather, singleness is a gift for you if you are single, and it's a gift to those around you as well, just like marriage is. Um, and so, to make singleness a real valued part of our church, like it is in the Bible, I think two big practical steps that we can make, um, which will be for the good of all of us, is to foster deep friendships and not to be afraid of, um, of real intimacy in the sense of kind of depth of relationship in friendships and to, to, to look around and see our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, as we see church as family. So I'm going to pray to close that God would do that in us. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would uh, be fostering deep and real friendships in the church. We pray um, that we wouldn't be people who feel as though we are alone, uh, whether we're married or not, that we'd be able to find uh, ch- church to be our family. And we pray, um, yeah, that we wouldn't succumb to the kind of loneliness of our culture, but that we would uh, be open and, and willing to invest in real friendships. We pray for those of us who are single, pray that you... Um, yeah, would ha- help us to, to see them as such a precious part of church and the gift that they are to us. Pray for those of us who are married, pray that you would show us the, their preciousness in church and help us to value them as well. Um, and yeah, I pray that we'd be people who wouldn't feel like we need to put on a mask or to pretend or imply that, imply that kind of marriages are perfect or that marriage is a solution to happiness or, or satisfaction, but we'd recognize the grief and hardships, as well as the joys and gifts that uh, come with both singleness and marriage. Uh, We pray all this in your name. Amen.